Hear now God's holy word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Thus far the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word and we ask you to fill us with your spirit that we might receive it today. Open up our ears and our minds and our hearts to uh, receive the things that you wish to communicate to us today. Help me to be an articulate messenger of these things. Clear my mind. And we pray that you would deliver us all from distraction, deliver us all from error. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our nearest kinsman. Amen. Amen. Have you ever considered the blessing of pain? Those two words don't seem to go together, do they? Blessing is one thing, pain is another. Those those words don't work together. That doesn't sound quite right. But in fact, our body's ability to tell us that there's something not right is actually a good thing. I read an article about a five-year-old girl in Georgia, I believe, uh, who was born with a rare genetic disorder that rendered her unable to feel pain. She can't sense extreme temperatures, hot or cold. Um, She she can't tell uh, whether she's too hot or too cold. And, And so it disables her body's ability to cool itself or to warn her if she's burning herself. And so her mother puts, puts ice in her soup lest she just, you know, gulp it down and scald her throat. She wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh, they first noticed her condition when her father was using a pressure washer in the backyard and she put her hand on the hot pressure washer and stood there staring at her blistered palm, not crying or screaming. They knew something was wrong. Something was up. So now they have to take extra measures to ensure when she comes in from playing, that, that she doesn't have any in- injuries, that she, she doesn't have anything that could become complicated or infected later on. Uh, that's a strange condition to consider. And I'm sure that there are people who live with chronic pain who would, who would think maybe I would prefer to be in her position and not feel anything at all. But the fact is that for us, pain is there for a reason. Pain lets your body know that something is wrong. Something needs to be fixed. Something is not right. Take your hand off of the hot burner. Something is hurting you and is damaging you. Pain lets you know that uh, something needs to be fixed sometimes immediately. So this little girl's parents would give anything for her to be able to feel pain. Pain, in its own way, is a blessing. And not only is physical pain good for us, the kind that warns us that something is going wrong with us, but other kinds of pain, loss, grief, setbacks, difficulties, these are ultimately good for us as well. It may sound ridiculous to say that. And you think, where in the world are you coming up with this stuff? Those things are not good for us. These are not, these are not blessings. But the scriptures say, as we read this morning, give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, and, and that was from Ephesians 5, rather. We read from 1 Thessalonians, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And you know, James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work. Repeatedly, the scriptures tell us to give thanks for everything. That includes the tough things. 
That includes the hard things. That includes the things you don't want to do, the things that you don't want to go through. That includes the difficult, painful things, for these are the will of God for you. These are good for you. These are good for the church and for the kingdom and for the name of Jesus. I know still you hear that and you say, that's crazy talk. That's terrible. But we say that and we react that way because we are a people who've been trained to believe that all pain of any kind, all discomfort is always bad and it must be immediately alleviated. Our thought process goes, I hurt. Okay, there's got to be a solution. There's got to be an immediate direct, easy, uh, cost-free, if possible, pill that I can take to, to fix my problem. There must be something. Obviously, there must be an immediate uh, way for me to stop hurting. Now, certainly, I, I say take a pill. Medicine is an incredible blessing, no doubt about that. But the flip side of that blessing, because we have been granted such an uh, incredible bounty of, 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 of pain-alleviating things in our life, the flip side of that is that, uh, that we now can't abide the idea that we might have to live with pain for a time or live in some kind of state that's not absolutely comfortable all the time. So any and all discomfort for us is unthinkable. And we're unable to get past that to the point where we might actually be able to give thanks in the middle of suffering, give thanks for the suffering. I mean, that's, that's not what we think. We don't think immediately when we feel hurt or pain or discomfort. We don't immediately think Thanksgiving. We think, get me out of this. Stop this. Make it quit. We don't think, what is this supposed to teach me? How is this supposed to change me and shape me? What am I supposed to learn from this? We think, no, it's got to stop and quickly. But but asking these questions, I, I want to be clear on this, asking the questions, what is this supposed to teach me and what am I supposed to learn from this? Um, that doesn't prevent us from using medicine or, or looking for ways to alleviate the suffering. But I am asking that we slow down for a second to go through the steps to ask what purpose does God have in bringing this evil, this bad thing, this terrible thing into my life? And this doesn't just apply to physical suffering, but this also applies to emotional and social and financial and relational suffering. All manner of affliction is ordained by God. And we are brought into suffering for a reason. And one of the reasons that we're brought into it is to learn how to give thanks in the midst of it to learn how to praise God in spite of our surroundings, in spite of our environment, in spite of our suffering. As I said last week, this month, I hope to focus our attention on the exercise of gratitude. And for these three Sundays, I'm looking at Thanksgiving and, and, and gratitude. And last week, we saw some of the general importance of gratitude by, by considering some of the negatives. We we saw how ingratitude is the root of all sin and rebellion against God. Misplaced gratitude is idolatry. Uh, giving thanks to something else other than God for our good things, that's, that's idolatry. And we also saw how an overall spirit of ingratitude leads to the destruction of relationships and people. We, we saw that with Cain's ingratitude toward God, how that, how that led to disaster and death with his brother Abel. Today, 
I want to take another step and ask, how can we express gratitude in the midst of suffering and look for ways that we can give thanks, not just in spite of the bad things, but give thanks for the bad things, for the, for the sanctification that they work in us, for the growth and maturity that comes by the hard things, the bitter providences, the tough chapters of your life that God is writing. And by way of starting to unfold this issue, I, I want to ask why, first of all, why is this something worth pondering? Why would you put priority on giving thanks in the midst of suffering and, and even learning how to give thanks for the things that's causing you to hurt? Well, very simply, the first reason is that expressing gratitude, even when you're in pain, is a very open public confession to yourself and everyone else that God is sovereign. We say that a lot. We love to say that. As Reformed Calvinists, we, that's, that's almost like a, a, a bumper sticker. That's like a motto. God is sovereign. Yeah, yeah, I know. God is sovereign. God is on his throne. I know what, he, I know, I know what that means. God knows what he's doing. And it is very easy to say that when things are going our way, when, the, when, when we're just kind of floating along and things are going fine. But to stop and say that and mean it in the middle of suffering what we're saying is, is that God is in complete control of what is happening to me right now. He doesn't simply uh, passively allow these things to happen to us. That when we say that he is sovereign in the middle of suffering, what we're saying is that he didn't go on vacation, turn his back, and then something just kind of slipped through and hit us while he wasn't looking. And now he's sort of wringing his hands and, and he's sort of flustered like, okay, how do we get out of this one? What are we going to do now? Boy, this is a mess that we have. What a pickle. I don't know how we're going to, I don't know how we're going to deal with this. No, we're, we know that that's, that's incorrect and that's false. What we're saying when we give thanks in the middle of suffering and confessing God's sovereignty is saying, no, this wasn't an accident. Something didn't slip past him. In fact, he wants this for me. He ordained this for me. He is in complete control of the intensity of my pain and the duration of my pain. Going through periods of intense trials is one of the ways that God gets it into our heads that we are his workmanship. <laughs> he is the potter, we are the clay, and he is, he is making us into what he wants us to be. And flowing out of that, because he is sovereign and because he's in complete control, he works these things out for us because he is good. We, we don't just simply stop and say, well, he's sovereign and that's the end of the story. No, he's sovereign and he is good. Psalm 34 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The, the Lord is merciful and he is kind. He knows what you're made of. He knows your frame. His purposes are not to obliterate you, but to mature you and to strengthen you and to raise you up in the likeness uh, of his son who was made perfect through suffering, by the way. Ultimately, all that he does is good and it's for the good of his people and for the happiness of his people, even when it looks dark out at the moment. You know that the sun is still going to rise right on schedule. In Jeremiah, when the people were headed into the Babylonian captivity, God tells his people, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says Yahweh, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you future 
and a hope. See, even in sending us into difficult things, he does it because he is good, not, not because he's trying to destroy us. Even when the pain comes as a form of correction or, or chastening, it's all out of his love. Whom the Lord loves, he, he chastens. Uh, so, so we go through these, these difficult things, these difficult episodes, not because he despises us, but because he loves us and because he is good. He is sovereign. He's good. And so for that, we give thanks, no matter whether we find ourselves in an environment of ease or in an environment of severe discomfort. We give thanks because we have the privilege of standing with Jesus who bore the sin of the world. He bore the shame of the sin of the world. So we, his people, in this way, we carry the burden. We carry the weight of the sin of, sins of the world along with Jesus. It's no coincidence And it's no accident that the church has to deal with the very same sins, the very same temptations, the very same conflicts that the world deals with and that we're afflicted with many of the same difficulties that the world is faced with. We enter into human suffering like Jesus did to bear it with the world, alongside the world. And then this is something that needs more thought and more fleshing out, probably more time than I have to give it today. But I'm convinced that to be like Jesus, we're going to have to bear with, as a church, as the body of Christ, that we have to bear more of the sin and weight and shame of of the darkness in the world and not less. Um, not, Not that we excuse sin, not that we affirm sin, God forbid, but that, but that we get used to facing the very same sins and temptations that the world faces, but, but we do it in a conquering way. We, we conquer it here so that that victory can roll out to the nations and the victory spreads to the world. Again, that's something that deserves more thought and time, but, but we enter into, it seems, suffering as Jesus did on behalf of the world. But a proper faithful response to suffering is critical because you and I live right now in a world where death and disease and sin are everywhere. We are all subject to suffering. Every one of us, every single one of us are going to lose somebody that we love. Every one of us are going to get sick one day and we're not going to be able to take care of ourselves. You're not. You're not going to be able to do what you think uh, is, is just normal everyday stuff. One day, you might be 95 years old, but one day, we're going to get sick. All of us will die. All of us are going to face periods of acute temptation, loneliness, fear, persecution, doubt, anxiety. All of us at the same time, we're all going to face those things. All of us are also called by God to give thanks for all things, in all things. We know these two things are true. We are going to suffer and we are supposed to give thanks in all things. Let's put those two together and say, how? How do we, how do, we do that? And why do we do that? One way, to, one way to see how to do that is to see how various people in the Bible responded. So uh, very shortly, I want to look at three quick case studies of people in the Bible who learned how to express thanksgiving in the midst of tough circumstances. If I were to ask you, who's the first one to come to your mind? You'd probably say Job. And yeah, I think we'd all say Job. And for good reason. At the beginning of the book of Job, remember, the accuser Satan believes that the reason that Job is so faithful is because God has been so good to him. God has showered Job with all of this great provision. And so obviously 
Job is going to thank God. And so Satan says to God, if you take away all of these good things, then surely Job will curse you to your face. So God allows Satan to test Job in this way, to take away all of his earthly blessings. But instead of cursing, what does Job do? Well, Job gives thanks and he praises God. After Job hears all of the terrible news about the deaths of his sons and the deaths of his daughters, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. Yahweh gave, Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. The circumstances didn't change Job's worship. The circumstances didn't change Job's fear of God, and the circumstances didn't change Job's desire and ability to give thanks in spite of, and maybe even because of, God's providence, his bitter hard providence in taking these things away from Job. Rather, Job's worship was underscored by the circumstances. At the beginning of the book, you know, Job's wife says, curse God and die, just get it over with. And Job answers her, shall we accept good things from God and not accept adversity? (laughs) If we we take the good things, should we not also take the tough things that we have to bear? And at the end of the book, Job says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And he says, after my skin is destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Uh, he, he affirms that this creation is good, these gifts are good, this life is good, and by enjoying all of these good things, I'm thankful for them. But if God takes the things away that I didn't deserve to begin with, yet I will praise him. What kind of faith is that? I love him so much, and I'm so thankful for all that he is to me. And every moment of joy and life that he has showered upon me, that even if he slays me right here, yet I will praise him. Because I realize that every breath in my lungs is a gift. Every moment of, of lucidity and thought and every, every time I, I get, to, get to eat and drink and, and spend a moment with the people I love. Everything, every minute is his grace to me. Everything is his goodness that I don't deserve. And if God takes away these things that I don't deserve, well, that's his prerogative. The testimony of Job is that we don't just praise God and give thanks on the sunny days. We don't thank him for only the parts of life that we like. We don't give him thanks only for the things that we ask for. Because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He gives us things that on the surface don't appear to be jolly or comfortable or good. But we give thanks all the same. If we can only give thanks when the winds are blowing in our favor, are we really recognizing the giver of those good things? Or are we just recognizing the gift? Are we, are we, are we praising the sovereign giver? Or are we worshiping a God who we've kind of made into our own image, kind of a, a, a jolly Santa Claus in the sky that just gives us whatever we want? And then when that thing doesn't come, well, then we throw a fit and kick and scream. He doesn't, if he doesn't cater to our every whim, then we kind of lose our faith. Job for us models a kind of gratitude that's not simply thankful for God's gifts. And that's what Satan accused him of, right? He's only thankful for your gifts. Job models a kind of gratitude that is not just thankful for God's gifts, but thankful for God and who he is and his holiness 
his righteousness and his greatness. So, so that's the first little case study. Think on Job, how to give thanks in tough circumstances. Second on your list, if I were to ask you to name some people in the Bible who are thankful in spite of bitter circumstances, maybe you would name Joseph. Certainly many of you would. You know, Joseph was an exceptional young man. He was recognized by his father for having some really good leadership gifts. His brothers, of course, were jealous for the attention and the favor he received. And so his brothers plotted to just do away with him. And through no fault of his own, Joseph ends up on a caravan headed to Egypt, enslaved. And then, and then he ends up in the uh, house of a very powerful and mighty man, Potiphar, where there again, he is dealt with unfairly. There again, he is unjustly accused and sent to prison for a long time. And then he works his way out and he becomes second in command of all Egypt. This long winding, amazing story of Joseph is all the result of unfair treatment of other people. If anybody ever had reason to be bitter against other people and the ways that they had abused him and misused him, it would be Joseph. His brothers wickedly abused him and sent him away from his family, from his homeland. Everything he knew, he loses and he ends up enslaved and imprisoned. You talk about suffering because of the sins of other people, that's Joseph. But you know well that scene when he finally comes back into contact with his brothers. He doesn't lay into them. He doesn't rail on them. He expresses thanksgiving. He says, God has sent me here before you to save your lives, to deliver you. It was not you who sent me here. It was God. Later, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And this is the central theme of Joseph's story, that God providentially uses evil, bitter things, hard things, tough things. God uses these, these, uh, these terrible things for his good ends. God's power is so extensive that Joseph tells his brothers, God overruled your wicked plans. You didn't send me to Egypt. God did. You meant evil. God meant good. It's God's will, not man's will, that is ultimate and final and good. So what we learn from Joseph is that there's no matter of evil. There's no amount of mistreatment or injustice that can come to you through the hands of other people that excuses you from giving thanks to God. Surely God will deal with the evildoers. No one gets away. Everyone faces judgment in this life and in the next. But the fact that you have been sinned against and even sinned against to a great degree does not mean that you're off the hook. You don't, that it, it doesn't mean you don't have to be grateful to God for the story that he is writing with your life, for the way that he has shaped you throughout your life. You don't get to be mean and bitter and angry and warped and fearful because you feel like other people have done you wrong. You stand with Joseph and say, you know what? Yeah, that was rough. Boy, that was so tough. But they meant it for evil. God meant it for good. They didn't send me down that way. God sent me down that way. Meditate on Joseph. And then third, uh, the, the little case study we could pull out Paul. Not only was he sinned against the way that Joseph was, but he was personally, physically assaulted. And like Jesus, Paul bore in his body the marks of persecution. You remember what he says in 2 Corinthians when he writes to, uh, writes to that church. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. I mean, could any of you buck up under 
the pain of, of one whipping, much less 40 times five. I mean, really, that's remarkable when you read this. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've been in the deep, and journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor, under Eretus the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped from his hands. And what does he say for all of this that he experienced? He says, therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. Paul poured out himself for the cause of the preaching of the gospel and the building up of the church. And what he got in return for that was often physical mistreatment of every kind. And his response to all this is thanksgiving. He takes pleasure in these things for Christ's sake. And he's just obeying what Jesus said to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are you, when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, what do you do? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What do you do when you're persecuted for Jesus' sake? You rejoice and you be exceedingly glad and you give thanks. You see, when you're persecuted for doing what God says, Satan's strategy is to make you feel bad for doing what God said. The weight of public opinion and the persecution and and the being ostracized and pushed off, Satan's goal there is to make you feel stupid. He wants you to feel dumb for doing what God says and sticking your neck out and doing the right thing. And so what you hear from the crowd are things that you're not not really compassionate. You're, You're not... You're small-minded. You're bigoted. You're, you're, you're not loving enough. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't believe those lies. He says, rejoice. Why? Because a servant is not greater than his master. They persecute you, Jesus says, because they persecuted me. So Jesus says, when you get a target painted on your chest for the sake of righteousness, they're not just attacking you, they're attacking me. And that's not something you shy away from or run from. That's something you embrace. You are sharing in his sufferings. You have the privilege and the honor of standing with Jesus against the world. That's what Paul gave thanks for. And that's what we learned from him, that it's a privilege. It is a cause for great rejoicing when you are mistreated for the sake of the gospel. So so Paul tries to get this in our head. He repeats it over and over in Ephesians 5. He says, give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So taking these three, and we could name many more, but just seeing a glimpse through these three stories, we get an idea of the importance of gratitude in the middle of difficult circumstances. And we begin to understand what, what does this produce? What is the outcome? What kind of people does this make? When, when we make a habit 
of giving thanks, thanks in hard times for the hard things, what kind of people does that, does that produce? Well, a few thoughts about that. And, uh, and, and I'll, I'll try to run through these quickly. But when we're faced with suffering that we can't avoid, if we express gratitude in that moment, gratitude moves us from denial to acceptance. Crisis and conflict bring with them a loss of control. We, we can't make things the way we want them to be. We can't change people. We can't go back and erase or change events. We have no control. So one way that we try to respond is that we sinfully re-exert our control. And we try to do that through defiance or rage or by taking revenge. We are personally going to set things right and execute justice. That's the opposite of gratitude. In fact, we've seen this very same thing play out this last week, haven't we? With a whole bunch of barely adult people who didn't get what they asked for, who didn't get what they wanted. They, they've, they've grown up with the assumption that when something happens that I don't like, I get to shut down and I don't have any responsibilities. And I'm not responsible for my, for my actions now. I get to throw a hissy fit and I get to throw a temper tantrum when I don't get what I want. This is my right. I get to scream and demand that that somebody changes it because I can't live with this. Somebody's got to fix this. Somebody's got to do something. And I mean, it always worked with mom. You know, I screamed and cried and mom turned Pokemon back on and she gave me the dinosaur shaped chicken nuggets and she patted my head and it was all better. You know, all I had to do was cry and scream and she fixed it. Paul writes, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Maturity responds to difficulties first with thanksgiving, not with denial, not with indignation. Thanksgiving then produces acceptance that this is what God wants for me right now. This, as tough as it is, this is what's best. Secondly, gratitude leads us to embrace the purpose of suffering. I've said before that that God doesn't allow anything into our lives that doesn't have a reason. He has a design. He's telling a story. Don't resist the story that he's writing. Again, he's the potter. You're the clay. He's working to shape you in a way that pleases him. So embrace his design and don't miss out on the blessing of what he is working in you, especially if it's correction. If it's obvious that it's correction, learn obedience. Don't try to shortcut the process. Don't ignore the process or deny it, or there's more pain coming. Thirdly, gratitude equips us to affirm the truth of the gospel against Satan's lies. When we are afflicted, when we are in pain, Satan sees a crack and he sees an opportunity to wreck us, just as he was aiming for with Job. Gratitude denies him the ability to do that work. He wants you to believe that if God really loved you, he would immediately answer your prayer to make the hurting stop. That's what Satan wants you to believe. If God really loved you, he'd take this away immediately. But gratitude responds, you know what? God knows just how long and how intensely he wants this thing to go on. And I'm going to praise him for it. I'm going to... I'm, I'm, I'm going to bear with this no matter how long that, that he wants this to go on. 
gratitude reminds us that, that not only do we have a God that, that wants to hear our complaints, but he loves us so much that, that he is putting us through this. It's, it's not because he doesn't love us and we aren't dear to him. It's because we are. So there's this very twisted works righteousness thing uh, going on here to think if we did certain things for God, then we deserve certain responses. You see, this very merit-based kind of salvation that we're working out if this is what we expect. Satan wants you to think that you're all alone, that no one understands what you're going through and God has left you lonely. Gratitude to the Father for Jesus remembers that Jesus suffered every trial and right now he is walking with you, alongside of you, in your pain and you're not alone. Gratitude affirms the truth of the gospel against the lies of the devil. And then uh, gratitude vanquishes fear. Gratitude replaces fear. More than a hundred times in the scriptures, God commands his people, do not be afraid. What is fear? Fear dwells on the unknown and, and, and fear looks at the unknown and tries to connect dots and, and, and look for signs and clues and fear maps out the worst possible outcome. How many times have you been really dreading something that's coming up and in your mind, you think I'm going to go in there and they're going to chop off my head and eat my liver and, and, and then feed the rest of me to the birds. I mean, that's exactly how that's going to go. When I have to go in the principal's office, you know, that's, that's what's going to happen. And they'll never remember my name and I'll be gone forever. Fear dwells on the unknown and, and makes the worst possible outcome. And how often do you, do you think the worst possible thing is going to happen? And then you find out, you know what? Wow, that really wasn't that bad at all, was it? That, that nothing, nothing close to what I had worked out happened. Fear works against our human creaturely weaknesses and fear exploits those weaknesses. We aren't all knowing. Fear can't accept that and fear weaves elaborate mental scenarios. We aren't all powerful. Fear cries out for control and power. We aren't present everywhere. Fear convinces you that if you could be everywhere and you did see what everyone was doing and what everybody was saying, it would all be bad and it would all be about you. That's what fear tells you. But you see, I don't have to be all knowing. I don't have to be all powerful. I don't have to be all present because God is. And because he's good, I can trust him with those powers. He knows that we are not any of those things. He created, he designed us without those features so that we would depend on him. So be thankful for his power, be thankful for your frame and let gratitude drive out fear. Lastly, finally, gratitude leads us to be content with God's answers, even if that answer is weight. And it often is. The answer when we cry out is often wait. The answer is sometimes stay where you are and be faithful with what you are doing right now. Gratitude leads us to the right kind of faithful contentment. Happiness, uh, it leads us to a happiness that doesn't overlook all the small things that God is doing. Our, our, our dramatic sensationalist media culture trains us to make every small thing a catastrophe. We, we have very little sense of proportion. Everything is a big deal. There are no small deals. There's, there's no slight. There's, there's no snag or speed bump that could be overlooked. Everything, everything sends us into a, a tailspin. Everything is front page, breaking news, right? 
everything's a big deal. And we lose our, our perspective and sense of proportion. But in light of the great suffering of the world, is the fact that the kid behind the counter got your order wrong, is that, is that enough to send your day into a, a tailspin, really? Is that, do, we, do we lose that much perspective and sense of proportion? Somebody failed to respond to you the way you expected them to? Is that, honestly, in, in, light, of, in light of all the suffering of the world, is that, is that a big deal? Don't be like a spoiled, self-absorbed child. Don't think you have a right to be disappointed and indignant at everything you don't like. Children especially need to hear this, that life is a steady freight train full of things you don't like. <laughs> it, is, it is full of things that you are not going to appreciate. They're things that are going to dis- disappoint you. So... Be thankful for the incredible goodness that God has poured out on you. From the start of your life to the end, God has showered you with his goodness. So my hope is, in trying to go through this today, is that we could all think in these terms, that when some calamity or accident or persecution or sickness, or when some tough thing comes across our lives, our first response is, okay, take a breath. This is good for me. This is good because God has ordained it. This didn't surprise him. It is good because he has ordained it and he is sovereign and he is good. This is good because God is good. It doesn't feel like it right now. I can't explain all of it. God, I don't know what you're doing right now, but this is good. So, so I'm not going to ball up my fists and pitch a hissy fit, I'm going to open my hands up and say, Lord, I'm ready to learn all that you are trying to teach me through this very difficult thing. I'm ready for all that you have to give to me. Teach me how to be thankful in this moment. Teach me how to believe. Teach me now in this moment to trust in you. Drive all the fear out of my heart. I am your workmanship. You are writing my story. You are the potter. I am the clay. Not my will, but thine be done. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would conform us to the image of your son who said those very words. And so we feel so far from it. We do feel indignant and angry and revengeful often when we uh, are, are in difficult circumstances, but we have, we have so much growing up to do. We, we have so much work to do uh, to, to get over our fears and, and our, our failures. So Father, we pray that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit, allow these things to marinate in our hearts, and by your Holy Spirit, grow us up to the image of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.